I want you to listen to the following statements and tell me what you think. You ready? God doesn't know everything about the future. He doesn't know exactly what you and I are going to do until we do it. And then he reacts accordingly. God is often surprised by what happens. God is constantly learning new things. Anybody have a problem with those statements? I'm so glad to hear that. Shocking, blasphemous, heretical, all of those words I think are appropriate. But you need to know this is what a number of leading scholars and, and theologians and, and seminary professors and authors who identify themselves as evangelicals, in other words, those who are committed to the word of God and, and the centrality of the gospel, uh, these men are proposing these ideas as a more biblical and practical alternative to the traditional view of the sovereignty of God. And uh, this heretical teaching is slowly seeping from the seminaries into churches. It's called open theism or the openness view of God. And the word open uh, really defines the fact that the future is open and not foreknown or foreordained by God. That's what they mean by open theism. That God has not, for, has not foreordained the future, nor does he, for, does he know the future in advance. And obviously, this teaching, this perspective, this uh, philosophy, I guess I wouldn't even call it theology, uh, totally redefines who God is and how he's involved in our lives. And it totally undermines our faith and trust in God and destroys our hope in facing the future. It harms our prayer life. It robs our joy when facing suffering and pain. It weakens our confidence in God's guidance and direction in our lives. I mean, how can we know God's will for our lives if He doesn't even know it? Until it happens, at least. Aren't you thankful for the precious truth that God is all-knowing, He's all-powerful, and that He always works everything in our lives for His glory and our good? In my opinion, the sovereignty of God is the most comforting of all the attributes of God. It's my favorite. If you had to pick a favorite, what's your favorite attribute of God? I'd pick God's sovereignty. Uh, the, the fact that God controls all things comforts me more than anything else I believe about Him. It gives me hope. It gives me confidence no matter what is going on in my life at any given con- time. And I think a lack of hope and a lack of confidence in the sovereignty of God is what causes a lot of confusion and and frustration and fear when we're trying to discern God's will for our lives. We we forget that God is sovereign over all things. And and last week, I tried to provide you with just a basic understanding of what what the Bible teaches about God's will, and we learned that God's will can be divided into how many parts? Two parts, and what are they? Number one, there's God's decretive will, and then, then secondly, there's God's directive will or preceptive will, as some of you may have been taught in the past. God's directive will is His decrees. God's directive will is His directions. His decretive will is is secret, and it cannot be known by us until after it happens, but it cannot be disrupted no matter what. His directive will uh, is His revealed will that can be known by us when we study what? The Bible, the Scriptures, but it can be disregarded. And so His decretive will cannot be disrupted, but His directive will can be disregarded. God's decretive will, again, is His predetermined plan from eternity past regarding what everyone would do and how everything would happen. And God carries out his decretive will by providentially controlling everyone and everything so that it works out perfectly just as he planned it from the beginning. God's directive will is his revealed plan of what everyone should believe and should do. 
And the Spirit of God carried along certain men as they wrote down exactly what He wanted them to write so we would know exactly what He wanted us to know. That's the doctrine of inspiration. We mentioned Deuteronomy 29.29 that says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons that we may observe all the words of this law. We said that's a, a great verse um, in, in this discussion of God's will because it pulls together uh, both His decretive will and His directive will. Uh, the decretive will is mentioned when He says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's His decretive will. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons that we may observe all the words of this law. That's His directive will. Uh, you have His revealed will sitting on your laps. We also last week drew some very important conclusions that I hope were, are very helpful, very practical for you in discerning the will of God for your life. Number one, we should strive to know the Word of God rather than the will of God. When we usually are trying to find God's will for our life, we're focusing on what aspect of His will? His decretive will. I want to know God's will for my life. We want to know what He decreed before the foundation of the earth that was, that's going to happen. Who I'm going to marry, what job I'm going to take, where am I going to live, all that kind of stuff. Listen, we want to know something that God never intended or expected us to know until, until after it happened. So you can't figure out God's decretive will ahead of time, and you shouldn't try to figure it out because, frankly, it's none of your business. What we should focus on Instead, is His directive will. That's the only thing we can know, and so it should be the only thing we strive to know. And so God has already given us everything we need to know in His Word for us to make wise, God-honoring decisions. And so, instead of asking God to reveal His will to you, uh, thank Him that He already has revealed His will to you in His Word, and and instead of sitting around waiting for Him to whisper something in your mind or analyzing your feelings or your desires or interpreting the circumstances, you should simply ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your mind to understand the Word of God and grant you the wisdom to apply it in making whatever decision that you need to make. So when it comes to discerning the will of God, our part is to to basically uh, obey and follow His Word. His part, God's part, is to providentially work out His will. So we need to obey, and He works out His will. So you shouldn't try to know the, word of, uh, the will of God, but the Word of God. Secondly, you should not try to figure out God's specific individual for your lives. We talked about it. You shouldn't try to figure out God's specific individual will for your lives, as if that's a third category. There's His decretive will, and then there's His directive will, but then there's a specific, perfect will, center of God's will, uh, right, for you. Well, does God have a specific will for every one of us? Absolutely. But that's His decretive will. That falls under the category of His decretive will, and He never intended for us, nor does He expect us to run around trying to figure out His specific will for every specific detail of our lives. The the, the, the Scripture is very helpful at, at some points because it's very specific. It says, don't do this, or do this. But in most cases... Um, there's just general principles that, that guide us in helping us make decisions. And so rather than a, an app on your smartphone where you just type in some stuff and it gives you exact details of what you're supposed to do, go down here, take a left, turn here, go here, your, your destinations will be on the left, right? It's more of a compass. Can you imagine turning in your smartphone for a compass? That's all you got. You got to go down to Houston, find this place, all you got is a compass, but you got to just follow the direction. That's the Word of God. The Torah, the law, just points the direction that we're supposed to go. And so that requires us to live by what? Faith, not by sight. And so we need to remember not to try to figure out God's specific will. And then finally, the third conclusion that we drew last week was we cannot miss or mess up God's will for our lives. To me, that's the most helpful, most practical. You cannot miss or mess up God's will for your life. And many of us live with that fear that if we make a wrong decision, we're going to miss God's best or worse, we're going to ruin our lives forever. Listen, you cannot miss God's decretive will. It's going to happen no matter what you do. There's no plan B for your lives. There's nothing you can do to change God's will, thwart His will, mess up His will. What He's planned is going to happen no matter what. Now, we can disobey His directive will, 
But even then, we said we're not outside his decretive will. That God even allows us to make bad decisions, to work for the best in our lives, uh, so he can teach us things that we can never learn any other way. And so what you may have meant for evil or someone else meant for evil, God means for what? For good. Genesis 50, verse 20. The story of Joseph is a classic example. And again, we said, hey, be careful, time out. Don't become a fatalist. Don't become fatalistic saying, well, God's going to do whatever he's going to do and it doesn't matter what I do or don't do. I'm just a robot. I'm a marionette on some strings. No, God is sovereign, but he also holds you responsible and accountable for your actions and your decisions. But I think those conclusions, based on an understanding of God's will, will keep us from being paralyzed with fear and while we're making difficult decisions and, and keep us from second-guessing ourselves after we make a decision. Now, I told you, I kind of left you hanging last week, haven't I? didn't I? Remember I said, hey, if you, you're still wondering, okay, you haven't told me God's will for my life. I need to know. Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I buy this car? Should I move to this house? Should I go on this mission trip? Right? Should I make this investment? Should we adopt this child? Right? All these decisions that, that you're faced with, some big, some small. And I, and I told you, I can't tell you specifically what decision to make, but I can tell you generally how to make that decision. And that's what I'd like to do with our time this morning. Now, I realize that I've left you hanging not just last week, but even uh, these last two weeks. But, but please know there was a method to my madness. Um, I expected that some of the things that, that I said were going to stir up some questions in your minds, cause you to question some things that you may have always believed are true. And you're like, wait a minute, I've always believed that. How can that? That's, is that really true, what he's saying? My purpose was not just to stir up controversy or just to rattle your cage for no reason. I simply wanted to challenge all of us to return to a more biblical, historical approach to discerning the will of God. By the way, how many of you guys were able to listen to that message that I recommended this last week by Vodi Bakum? okay? Uh, those of you that aren't raising your hand, man, please, please, please take the time to, read that, to listen to that message uh, I posted it um, uh, on, a, on an email that I sent out uh, so you, you have an easy click on. You wouldn't have to worry about typing anything in. But uh, I've already heard from uh, a number of people that listened to it how helpful that was as a supplement to what we've been going through here uh, the last couple of weeks uh, about how to know God's will for your life. But um, I just have personally seen in my own life and in the lives of others uh, that I've counseled over the years that the chaos, the, the confusion caused by trying to discern the will of God in ways the Bible never said that we should, that, that as Vodi said in that message that we act more like pagans than we do as Christians because we're always trying to feel our way through decisions rather than think our way through decisions, think biblically. And so in order to correct the modern abuses uh, in Christianity and in the church, I, I purposely swung the pendulum all the way to the other side because it was way over here in some sense. And I was like, let's ride that sucker all the way over here to the other side and, and fly past a bunch of stuff. You're like, wait, I like that thing right there. I, I use that. I trust that thing right there. You're telling me I have to leave that behind. What I want to do now is I want to bring that pendulum back into the center and give you what I believe to be a balanced understanding of how to discern the will of God. And as I mentioned the first two weeks, some of the things that I said were wrong ways to discern the will of God, when they're properly understood and properly applied, they do play an important role in the decision-making process. And so what I want to do this morning is just give you a, a, a five-step process for making wise, God-honoring decisions. Notice, uh, this is not five steps to know the will of God for your life. Okay, we're talking about decisions here, okay? F a five-step process for making wise, God-honoring decisions. By the way, uh, one more book I want to recommend. I've been re recommending a number of books up here. The first one I recommended was The Christian's Guide to Guidance, how to Make Biblical Decisions in Everyday Life. This is a great book to expose a lot of the paganism that has seeped into our Christianity when it comes to discerning the will of God. This is Jay Adams' very helpful book. 
Um, and then this other book, if there's only one book you could read or have time to read, uh, it would be this one. For those of you that say, I just got to know this afternoon what God's will is for my life, okay? Um, this is the book to read, Found God's Will. Find the Direction and Purpose God Wants for Your Life by John MacArthur. Very helpful resource. I told you, those of you that are engineers, math guys that like to think about everything like in great detail, this is the book for you, Decision Making in the Will of God, A Biblical Alternative to the Traditional View by Gary Friesen. And then the last book I want to recommend, just really practical, when it all comes down to this discussion of God's will for your life, it's all about making decisions. And this book is called Decisions, Decisions, How to Make Them and How Not to Make Them by Dave Swavely. This is a guy I went to seminary with at the Master's Seminary, a really thoughtful guy, and I would encourage you to consider getting this very practical, helpful book. We've got him in our resource center as well. So we're talking about uh, a five-step process for making wise, God-honoring decisions. And I also want to, at the end, hopefully we'll have time to do this, is just quickly look at the significant role that the Holy Spirit plays in guiding us and directing us in the decision-making process. Because I know some of you have been like, well, wait a minute, you can just kind of kick the Holy Spirit right out of this place when it comes to discerning the will of God. It's like the Holy Spirit plays no role in this. How does this, what about the Spirit leading us and guiding us and directing us? And and, and we're going to talk about that at the end, hopefully in a way, kind of coming full circle here with, with, a, with a more proper understanding of how the Spirit, um, how, we sh- how we should consider the Spirit's role in this process. So what, what is this five-step process for making wise God earning decisions? Number one, get saved and sanctified. Okay, you're like, okay, great. Can we move on? We know that. Get saved and sanctified. Really? Do you know that? First um, Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's desire that people be saved. It is God's will, you could say, for people to be saved. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So I guess we have to be a little specific here, a little more specific, uh, because what's, is there a difference between God's wish and God's will? Uh, I guess you could say there is, that God wishes, He desires for all men to be saved, for everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't find any joy uh, in, in the punishment of the ungodly, but He's not willed or decreed that everyone would be saved. And I think we have to keep that in our minds, that God desires all men to be saved, but He's not decreed that all men would be saved. And so, again, we've got to keep these things in mind. But the bottom line, you could say it is God's will that people be saved. The gospel is not simply an invitation for those who, who choose to, to accept it. It is a command to obey. And without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't expect to be able to discern God's will or, or make decisions in your life that are pleasing to God. Uh, Romans chapter 8 Verse 7 says this, that the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. In other words, if you're not a Christian, you don't submit yourself to the word of God. In fact, you cannot, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so to know the will of God, you must know Jesus Christ. And until you know Jesus Christ, you'll never submit to the will of God in your life. And if you're just stumbling through life, tossing up periodic prayers in times of stress or or trouble, but have never truly bowed your knee at the foot of the cross and embraced Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you will never be what God wants you to be or be able to do what God wants you to do. And so you need to get saved. The first step in making wise, God-honoring decisions is is you have to be saved. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And once you've been saved, we know it's God's will for every Christian to be what? Sanctified. 
to be set apart from sin uh, unto Christ, to be pure, to be holy, to be transformed uh, into the likeness of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Verse 7 of that same chapter, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. And then we mentioned last week Romans Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we, we, we know that verse well. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? A living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Talking about setting yourself apart as, as a sacrifice to the Lord. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove or examine what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, you cannot prove or examine or understand or know what the will of God is um, if you're not set apart um, as a living and holy sacrifice and if you're not being transformed in your mind, but you're being conformed to the world. And so the first step in making wise, God-honoring decisions in life is to be saved and to be sanctified and be, be sacrificial in the way that you live, somebody who is totally submissive and obedient to God. And so you need to get saved and sanctified. Number two, you need to pray. You need to pray. You, need to, you have a decision to make? Well, you need to pray. And uh, what are some things that you should pray. Well, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, pray then in this way, Jesus gave the instruction to his disciples, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, so you're familiar with that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. How do you acknowledge God? You pray. I'm acknowledging my dependence on you, my need for, uh, of you, and He will what? Direct your paths. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, talks about being in situations that might cause you to fret or to worry. Oftentimes, we have decisions to make that that, that causes us to be anxious. And he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Where does the peace come from that we often talk about or look for when we're making decisions? It comes through prayer. That we, we unburden our hearts from the anxiety and the worries and the cares, and, and God gives us peace in return. And what's that peace based on? Is it just a warm, fuzzy feeling? No, it's based on the confidence that God's got this, that, that I gave it to Him and He's under control. He's got it all under control and I don't need to worry about it. James 1.5, you're familiar with that verse, I'm sure. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God i.e. pray, who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. Listen, you're like, I don't know what to do. I need wisdom to know if, if I should do this or that, if we should do this or that. Well, pray, ask God for wisdom. And so let me just give you a few ideas or examples of things that you should pray for or you could pray for as you're seeking to make a decision that honors and pleases the Lord. Uh, pray and express to God that you want to do His will more than anything else in your life. In other words, that you, you want to do His will, not your will. Just reaffirm that in prayer. Uh, pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate your mind to understand and apply the Scriptures. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about that in the next point. Uh, pray for faith to take God at His Word. To, to move forward in faith, to live by faith and not by sight. Pray for wisdom beyond your years and beyond your experience. Pray for God to search your heart, to purify your motives. Pray for a submissive will. I think the prayer of Jesus in the garden is the classic prayer to pray. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Right? That's what we should always be praying when we're in a situation when maybe we're, we're desiring something, wanting something, and, and yet, yet we're not sure if that's what God wants. We're like, hey, bottom line, God, not my will, but yours be done. 
Just, just do your will, and I'll be okay with that. So we need to pray. Thirdly, we need to study the Bible. We need to study the Bible. Psalm 40, verse 8. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Ooh, that's good. That's a good prayer. He's praying. I delight. Nothing, nothing brings me more joy, more delight to, than to do your will, O God. I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. See how he equates God's will with his law? In other words, if you, wanna, if you truly delight to do God's will, then you have to know God's word because God's word is his will for your life. And so if you delight to do his will, then you need to delight in reading and studying the scriptures. Um, even as Paul exhorted Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman that does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. In other words, man, you gotta be a student of the word of God. You gotta know your stuff. You gotta know what the Bible says about these kinds of things. And so how does that, what does that look like practically? Well, you're, you're faced with a decision in life. You need to go to God's word and find out what the Bible says directly and indirectly about that decision that you need to make. For example, if you're deciding uh, to, to, to date someone or to pursue a relationship with a, somebody of the opposite sex and you're not sure, is this God's will for my life? Well, what does the Bible say directly about dating, courting? Uh, ultimately, the implication is th- that uh, if, you're, if you're dating and courting, it's for the purpose of getting married. married. So let's go and look for some direct principles uh, from God's word about marriage. 1 Corinthians 7.39 says that you should marry only in the Lord. In other words, you should only marry another believer. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be unequally yoked. And so if you're saying, well, this person, I'm not really sure if they're a believer, I'm not sure they're saved. Um, Well, God's will is very clear. That's an easy decision. No, (laughs) I'm not going to date that person. I'm not going to pursue that person because if the whole point of dating and courting them is to get married and the Bible says that I'm not supposed to marry somebody who's not a Christian, then why would I date somebody who's not a Christian? So that's real clear. You say, well, okay, this person is a a believer. Uh, They're in the Lord. I I would not be unequally yoking myself with them potentially if this thing goes the distance and we get married. what other principles are there in the scriptures that might uh, come to bear on this decision? Well, how about some indirect principles? Especially if you're a younger person, uh, maybe this is, uh, we're talking about you're in college, uh, whatever, a young, young, young person there, and, and, and so what would be another indirect principle? How about this? How about Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, which says what? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right Honor your father and mother and it will go well with you and you'll live long on the earth. So indirect principle is, hey, if my parents aren't for this, then apparently it's not God's will, right? Because I'm supposed to obey and honor my parents. And, and so if, if, uh, if they're not giving me the thumbs up, the green light, um, then, then, then it's obviously not God's will for me, at least at this point. Uh, until God changes my folks' hearts and, and until, or maybe even the pastors who God has placed over me. Um, he, another principle would be Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who are in positions of authority over you, who, who have been given charge over your soul. Uh, they'll give an account someday for this would not be good for you, right? To go against what your spiritual authorities are telling you to do or directing you to do, counseling you to do. Uh, so this is what I tell young people, is um, what you're looking for is you're looking for green lights. You're looking for green lights from your parents. You're looking for green lights from, from, from pastors, from small group leaders, disciples. It's kind of like the Captain Phillips movie, if you saw that, right? And, and here the, the, the Navy SEALs are bobbing on that boat, right? And they've got three guys that they're trying to kill in that little, that little lifeboat with Captain Phillips. And, and, and they, they kept saying, we got two green, one red, two red, one green, right? And, and so it, they, until they heard three green, that's when they pulled the trigger, right? And you know the rest of the story. I won't go into details. Um, but the point is, that's what you're looking for, right? You're out there bobbing on the ocean, okay, waiting for God to make it clear to you what, what his will is. Well, you're just waiting for 
three greens. You're looking for a green light from your folks. You're looking for a green light from pastors. You're looking for a green light from, from everyone who's involved, right, who has a part of this decision. That's safe decision-making, by the way, young people, is always seek the counsel and advice of your authorities. Uh, we're going to talk about that next. Now, what about gray areas, things that um, the Scripture doesn't specifically talk about? We've talked about this. There's a message that I would encourage you to, to go online and listen to called Grappling with Gray Areas. I taught it maybe three years ago. It's, it's posted on our website. And uh, I talk about these principles uh, like, will it benefit me spiritually? That's a question you should ask yourself. These are all principles or questions drawn out of general principles of Scripture. Will it enslave me? Will it slow me down in the race? Will it rationalize my sin? Will it build me up? Will it lead others to Christ? Will it violate my conscience? Will it cause others to stumble? Will it, will it be like Christ? Will this be Christ-like? Would Christ do this or say this or go there? Will it glorify God? What a great question to ask, right? Maybe just to simplify, just ask yourself that question before saying or doing anything, making any decision in your life from this point on. Just say, will this glorify God? End of story, right? That's, that's going to simplify a whole lot of your decisions. Don't leave this step too quickly, by the way, going, you know, hey, I, there's really not much. The Bible doesn't really say anything about it, so I guess um, it really doesn't matter. No, make sure that you... Uh, that you really know everything that the Bible says about that decision directly or indirectly through your study of Scripture. So you need to get saved and sanctified. You need to pray. You need to study the Bible. And then thirdly, seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. And we've got a number of verses listed there uh, from the book of Proverbs, which is all about living wisely. And one of the basic principles of wise living is that you seek counsel. Proverbs eleven, fourteen, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Uh, chapter 15, verse 22, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Uh, chapter 20, uh, verse 18, prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. And then chapter 24, uh, verse 6 says, for by wise counsel you will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. I'm just going to say this, okay? If you are trying to make decisions um, in and of yourself, kind of in a vacuum, and, and you think that you have everything that you need in your own mind, in your own heart, your own experience, and you, even your ability to study God's Word to make wise decisions, listen, you're missing out on so much of what the Bible assumes that, that, that we need each other. And so we need to learn to, to look to other people who are wiser and more discerning or at least maybe more objective at the moment. That would be parents and pastors and friends and, 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 and basically what you're looking for. Try to find people who know the word better than you do. And they know how to apply biblical principles to practical decisions in life. Now, don't just ask anyone looking for some justification. Hey, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? Don't ask them that. Don't, don't say, what do you think I should do? Because it doesn't matter what they think you should do. This is what I would suggest, that you share with them, hey, this is what I know God's word says about this decision. And then ask them, hey, is there any other verses or passages or principles that I haven't thought of or that may apply to this decision? Or based on your experience applying Scripture throughout your lifetime, what is the wisest thing to do in this situation? And so seek counsel, again, not to find God's will per se, but gain greater insight into Scripture and gain greater wisdom. And so seek wise counsel. So pray, study God's word, seek wise counsel, and then this may come as a shock to you. Number five is do what you want. Do what you want. Now understand the context of that statement. I didn't just say, hey, let me tell you how to know God's will for you. Just do what you want. I didn't say that, did I? No, this is, it comes at the end of a very important process. And you say, well, where, where are you coming from here? Well, 
there are some verses like Deuteronomy, or excuse me, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. This is a, a, maybe a shocking verse to some, but this is what it says. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. You're like, seriously? Where, where? Man, that's my new life verse. Some of you young people are like, well, I'm going to use that against my parents next time. They, you know, well, that's only half the verse. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. The conclusion is, right, fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. But the point is, he's saying, hey, go for it. If you see something that you desire to do, go for it. Just remember your creator in the days of your youth that you're going to have to give an account of that someday. So make sure whatever it is that you're choosing to do, that impulse, that desire, uh, is God-honoring. It pleases the Lord. And then I love 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Some good advice for those of us who sometimes get too wrapped around the axle about it's okay to smile, it's okay to have fun uh, as a Christian. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Um, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the certainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. God's not a killjoy. Like, my will for you is to have a miserable life. And you can never have fun. You can never enjoy yourself. No, that's not God's will. God's will is to, for us to have an abundant life. And he gives us, he richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And so I think if you've taken the first four steps, that you know you're saved, that you're in the process of being sanctified, you're praying Biblically, you're studying the scriptures uh, to know what the Bible says in regards to this decision. You're seeking wise, godly counsel from people that know the Bible well. And you've done all that. And either way, when, when, once you're done with those first four steps, this decision, you're like, ah. Uh, and either one would not violate anything in God's word or be unwise, then go ahead and do whatever you want. And usually at that point, you can safely trust that God has been providentially molding and shaping your desires so that you'll do what he wants you to do. God doesn't just grant our desires, but he puts his desires in our hearts so that his will becomes our will. Not my will, but yours be done. And so within the boundaries of scripture, we have the freedom to do whatever we want. And if what we choose isn't what God ultimately wants for us, then we can be confident that he'll change our choice through circumstances and things just won't work out. You're like, okay, we got to choose this house or that house and, and, and we're going to choose this house. We like this house for these reasons. And, and so you go for it. You make that decision. And then, then things don't, everything falls through. You're like, okay, let's go to this house. Then. <laughs> right? It's, it's just you trust God. You say, well, what happens if after taking those first four steps and, and I still don't know what to do? I'm still not sure. Um, I still can't decide. It's still not clear to me. What should you do? Wait. Wait. Romans chapter 14, verse 23. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he's eating. his eating is not from faith, Whatever is not from faith is what? Sin. This is what I would call the holding principle. Um, and, and you say, okay, I'm, not, I'm still not sure what to do. Well, wait. You say, what do I do while I'm waiting? Repeat the process. Repeat the process. Just go back through the process and, and, and get saved all over again. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> so make sure you're listening there. No, go, go back and use the extra time to, to pray for greater illumination, uh, greater wisdom, go back and search the scriptures some more, circle back around with some other godly counselors. Um, and then hopefully after you do that again, the decision will be more clear. Um, but again, anything apart from faith is sin. So if you're not sure, it's always best to 
to wait. And typically, you can always buy yourself a little more time. And it may take a phone call, it may take a conversation, it may be something that you have to do just to buy yourself another 24 hours. Say, let's sleep on it, as we say, right? Um, Before we make the decision, before we make the commitment. Now, again, a simple five-step process um, to make God-honoring decisions Uh, you might be thinking, well, this process seems so logical. It seems so analytical. Where where does the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit fit into all this? I mean, what role does he play in the decision-making process? And I've had a number of you come up after the last two Sundays like, hey, wait a minute, what about this? And what about the Holy Spirit in this? And how about this? And I'm like, exactly. Hold on. You're, You're right on the money. You're tracking And so, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the decision-making process? Well, guess what? He's actively involved in every single step of the process. He's the the silent uh, participant, if you will, the silent helper, the one who comes alongside, the uh, the, the invisible counselor. And so I've listed some things, some, some ways that the Spirit of God is, is part of this process. Like, number one, He saves and sanctifies us. He saves and sanctifies us. The Scriptures make this very clear. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by who? By the Spirit. Titus chapter 3. Verse 5, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit saves and sanctifies us, that's step one. Number two, the Holy Spirit prays with us and, and, and for us. Uh, in Romans 8, verse 26, it says that in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, um, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the, not flesh, in the spirit. And so he prays with us, he prays for us. Number three, that's the second step, by the way, pray, right? Number three, he illuminates us to understand and apply his word. He illuminates us, the spirit illuminates us to understand and apply his word. And we know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. In other words, you must have the Spirit of God in you in order to know the mind of God and the Word of God. Let, 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 me, let me try to clarify this particular point, because I think this is where a lot of our thinking and a lot of our speaking gets skewed. Nowhere in Scripture are we told that the Holy Spirit leads us through mental impressions or inner voices, okay? But that doesn't mean He doesn't prompt us or direct us or guide us. You say, well, if it's not mental impressions or inner voices, well, then how does He prompt us? How does He direct us? How does He guide us? I'll tell you how He prompts us. The Spirit uses the Word to prompt us to do, God, do what God wants us to do or not to do what God doesn't want us to do. You say, how does He do that practically? Well, He brings to your mind a promise from the Scriptures or a warning from the Scriptures or a command from the Scriptures or principles from Scripture that convict you, that comfort you, that make you joyful, that overwhelm you with peace, that they make you bold and courageous. And so this whole language of, hey, God spoke to me. Well, hey, I might be okay with that expression if you just added, he spoke to me through his word. He spoke to me through his word. Um, Really what you're saying is that the Lord reminded me of a promise. He reminded me of a passage. He reminded me of this verse or this principle, uh, which, which prompted me to say, yeah, this is the right thing to do, or this is the wrong thing to do. And so just remember, if the Spirit is going to prompt you in any way, He's going to do it through His Word. 
It's not going to be through a feeling or some impression. Uh, it's going to be through His Word. And so all the more reason to be a student of God's Word so that there's a lot for the Spirit of God to use to prompt you and direct you and to guide you um, as He's bringing to remembrance all of the, 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 the Scripture that you've learned and you've memorized over the years. In other words, if you, if you don't know the Bible really well, uh, and again, if you're a new believer, that's okay. That's where you're at. But I'm just saying, if you just don't study the Bible and you're like, ah, whatever, it's not that important. Listen, you are flying blind. That's why you should be motivated to study Scripture. How about this? Number four, I think the Spirit uses others to counsel and guide us. That's the Spirit of Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Where it says, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself am also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. So the Spirit of God fills us with goodness and with knowledge and the ability to admonish and counsel one another. A good example of that is Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, which says, brethren... Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, it doesn't mean like, hey, I'm spiritual. No, it means you have the Spirit of God in you. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking at yourself so that you, will too, you too will not be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and there, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So the Spirit of God uh, indwells us and empowers us to counsel and guide one another. And then finally, or not finally, number five, he confirms what our conscience tells us is the right thing to do. The Spirit of God confirms what our conscience tells us is the right thing to do. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 talk about when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively things of the law. These not having law are a law to themselves. In other words, they have a law written on their hearts. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternatively accusing or else defending them. Uh, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit or our conscience that we are children of God. In other words, God has given us, created each of us with a conscience that we know innately what is right and wrong. We know the difference between right and wrong. And, and so we can say, let your conscience be your guide. I think that's a safe statement. Let your conscience be your God. God has given every one of us a conscience, this instinctive sense of, of what is right and wrong. Now, some people have seared their conscience to the point that it's no longer a reliable guide. They've tuned out God so long or they turned off that in, internal warning system that God gave them. Uh, I wouldn't tell them to follow their conscience. But as we stay sensitive to God's spirit... As he informs our conscience with his word, he'll provide us with assurance that we're doing the right thing. So if you call that an internal um, prompting, an, an internal um, confidence, whatever it is, there is an internal, um, not a feeling, um, but again, a, a conscience, a consciously thinking through a decision based on the principles of God's word in the conscience that God's given us. And then finally... Number six, the Spirit of God may orchestrate circumstances to direct us. God may orchestrate through His Spirit the circumstances to direct us. And a great example of that is in Acts chapter 16, the Macedonian call, where, where, where um, Paul and, and, and his co-laborers were wanting to go uh, evangelize Asia, and they weren't even thinking about Europe. They were thinking about Asia. And they passed through Phrygia and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. You're like, what in the world's going on? It's like Paul's walking down this hall, and he's trying to, he's rattling doorknobs, and all the doors are closed. Again, remember, opening closed doors, that phraseology is only applied in Scripture to ministry opportunities. Um, mission opportunities, gospel uh, sharing opportunities. Well, what's up with that? Well, God wanted to get him down to the end of the hall where he had this vision. It says, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man in Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately he was sought, sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, which was Europe. Now, again, this is not normative. This is not 
prescriptive per se. Uh, this is merely descriptive. This is what God was doing with the apostles, uh, with, with the, the, the New Testament church. I don't think we should be waiting around to have visions for God to direct us to do things, right? But the, the idea here that the Spirit of God may orchestrate circumstances to direct us, minus the vision, right? Uh, but those may orchestrate, he, he may do. Well, how does that work? That, hey, everything, everything falls through or everything just falls into place. Can you just say, wow, isn't that, aren't we lucky? No. Isn't God good? And the Spirit of God just made that clear. It fell through. It wasn't His will. Or, hey, everything fell into place. Praise God. Uh, that's confirmation that as we prayed and we sought counsel and we, 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 we studied God's Word, that, that this worked out for His glory. So the bottom line in decision-making is to rely completely on the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to guide and direct us to do the will of God. The Spirit of God using the Word of God to guide and direct us to do the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your Word and uh, that is a sufficient authoritative source for us to know and to do your will. And uh, forgive us, Lord, for the times that that we go away from your Word and, and try to figure out your will for our lives through our own feelings and our own emotions and our own experiences and circumstances and, and even taking stuff out of context in Scripture and, and um, putting out fleeces and all the different wacky things we sometimes do uh, that your word never tells us we need to do or should, should ever do. I pray you'd give us greater confidence, Lord, to rely on your spirit, uh, that we'd have more faith in your word, and ultimately, Lord, just seek to live um, humble, obedient lives. Uh, whenever we make a decision, Father, that we would just submit it to you and submit our will to you and know that your will will be accomplished in our lives, Lord, as we stay humble and dependent and obedient to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.